0: All right. Good morning. morning. Happy Father's Day uh, to you all. Uh, it's so awesome to be here. We want to share a few announcements before we dive into the message. We want to have a, a missions update next Sunday. Missions update next Sunday, 12:45 p.m. at Coastal Yorktown. Uh, we're having a missionaries from Thailand that will be coming to discuss what will be happening with the Burmese refugee children from Maysalt, Thailand. So learn how we can help rescue children from fighting in the war. Lunch will be provided, um, so please pre-register by visiting gocoastal.org events. Uh, From the 19th to the 25th, all this week, our students will be going to LVR, Longview Ranch in Tennessee. So let's keep them in our prayers as they go and spend some time uh, growing in their relationship with the Lord. You can stay updated by going on their Facebook and Instagram page. Uh, The last uh, announcement, next week is Sunday, is corporate family worship. So next Sunday, we will have worship together as one family. Uh, so that means children's ministry for Coastal Kids will only be for uh, children three and under. So if you are four and up, children are four and up, they will be up here with the rest of the family. And so um, actually, that's, we have one more announcement. Prayer time. We, have, we usually would have prayer time uh, tonight, but because it's Father's Day, we want you to spend time celebrating what God has done through fathers for the family. And so we will not have prayer time tonight, so use this time to spend with your families. Amen? Amen. We have been studying the book of James for the last few weeks. And so we're going to take it a step further this Sunday. Go to James chapter 2. Verses 14. We're going to start at verse 14. Just a heads up, because of the weight that this passage holds, we're going to have a few, uh, we're going to be bouncing around a few throughout the Bible uh, just to unpack this group of scriptures, group of verses. And so, uh, and then because of the weightiness and the length, you know, usually. It's always been told that a preacher should have a a good introduction when they open up their sermon. I'm not doing that today, okay? We're just going to dive right in, all right? James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you will believe, or you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We're going to dive right into the message. So I want to open and start by making my first point. The Bible never contradicts itself. Gabriella, it's my little girl. She made me a father for the first time. It's Father's Day. The Bible never contradicts itself. Why is that so important? This scripture, these group of verses, believe it or not, are one of the most debated group of verses in the Bible. It's one of the the most greatest debated groups of verses in the Bible. If I could sum these verses up in one word, it would be focused on works. Here's why this is one of the most debated group of scriptures. So we see in James that James is focused on this word works, right? But then you look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. This is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we read that, and then we open this this uh, chapter of the scripture of James in verse 14, and James is saying, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says they have faith but not have works? Can that faith save him? So many people will read these two verses, read these two scriptures, and immediately come to the conclusion that Paul and James are on total opposite sides, they're preaching two totally different messages, have two totally different views of salvation. And because of this, this results in a contradiction of scripture, so it seems. Paul seems to preach against works and focuses on faith alone, while James seems to preach against faith alone to focus on works. So it seems like there's a contradiction. And this is why I wanted to take the time to just focus on God's word before I dive into unpacking the scripture. Because God's word reflects his character. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 is all about. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And it goes on to verse 17 and talks about how it equips us to, be, to do every good work. The scriptures come directly from God. And I know we say, well, man wrote it. Yes, they did, but they were only vessels. The prophets, the apostles, they were simply vessels used by God to get his spoken word in writing. Right? And so this means that both Paul and James were both used by God to give us a greater understanding of salvation and this walk we know as sanctification. Both Paul and James had the same theological views. They had the same, they believed the same gospel. They preached the same thing concerning salvation. Because if they didn't, the scriptures would contradict themselves which ultimately would mean that God can change and even lie. And according to scriptures all throughout the Bible, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27, they all declare God's immunability. God does not change. He does not change. These scriptures all throughout the Bible declare God's attribute of truth, that's what Numbers 23, 19 is all about. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. God does not lie, he does not change. Titus 1:2 even goes further and says, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Because truth is who God is. So God does more than tell the truth. That's who he is. It's his identity. So wherever we see A contradiction in scripture is always misinterpretation. So when you read James, the scripture in James 2 verses 14 through 26 is greatly debated, not because of the lack of clarity, but because of the lack of understanding. So what is James saying in this passage? This whole group of scriptures in a nutshell, James is saying works don't save you. They reflect your walk with God. That's what James is saying in a nutshell. So, my next point authentic faith is more than words. Authentic faith is more than words. We're going to read James. We're going to read 2 uh, 14 through 17 real quick. It says James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but not works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's a key word in these group of verses. Key word, that's the word say, S-A-Y, say, say. I've seen several pastors, several evangelists have tent services, revivals for nights in a row. And they preach this fiery message. And after the message is over, they have an altar call. And they say, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come down to the altar. And hundreds of people, especially if you grew up watching Billy Graham, you'll see he calls, has this call. And thousands of people will come down to the altar. I've seen pastors talk about how they preached and they give the exact amount of people that came down to the altar. They all say the prayer of salvation or the sinner's prayer and they walk away celebrating because 20 people or 500 people or a thousand people gave their life to the Lord. And I'm not going to say that I would never say that God couldn't save all 500 of them. Or all 1,000 or all 20 of them. However, I can't say that he did. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they all walked away a Christian. I actually know a guy who received a soul winner's award because he won the most souls. That, that, that's, he won the most souls. And he won a soul winner's award. Why is this so important? How can you say you don't know? This is what James is talking about. We have to watch their fruit, watch their works. It's it's amazing how there's some people that both consciously and even unconsciously believe that the sinner's prayer saves you. Oh, yeah, he saved. He said the sinner's prayer. Yeah, he saved. He said, he saved. he, he has not been to church, and I don't know how long he doesn't read the Bible. But he said, I know he saved because he, right, he say it's prayed the sinner's prayer. We believe that when you say these words, they bring salvation. I remember growing up, you go to vacation Bible school, and I went to a church. And at the end of the week, I was probably about six, seven years old, they showed this movie called Left Behind. Oh, Oh, boy. Uh, They showed this movie in whatever decade you grew up in. You may have seen the one with Kirk Cameron or the one from the 70s where they thought the Antichrist would have platform shoes, bell bottoms, and a curly afro. (laughs) But at the end of the day, they showed this movie Left Behind, a movie where Christians, if you believe in Jesus, you get raptured up, you disappear. And those that are left behind will, will face persecution for those, from those that do not believe in Jesus. It was one of the scariest movies that I've ever seen as a little child. They showed this movie. And after this movie, seeing Christians die and seeing the, the youth pastor comes up and says, if you don't give your life to Jesus, this is what's going to happen to you. When I tell you about 55 kids came running down that altar to give their life to Jesus. The next Sunday, he gives remarks about how Vacation Bible School went. He says, we had over 50 kids give their life to the Lord. Of course they did. You scared them. Imagine being scared into a marriage of a person that you don't know. You don't really know much about it. You might know their name, but you don't really know them. And they say, if you don't get married to them today, this is going to happen to you. You've never been given the chance to actually love them. You don't really know if you love them. There's a chance that there's, your marriage might be rocky because you married them out of fear and not out of love. That's what happens when we scare people into salvation. You don't get saved, this is what happens to you, yes. But at the end of the day, are we scaring them to be saved? Or are they they coming to Christ because the Holy Spirit pricked their hearts? And that's what we see a lot in the church. That's what Romans 10 and 9 says. Paul says, if you confess your sins or confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, he doesn't stop there. If you confess with your mouth and believe In your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved and believe in your heart. This is that same word belief found in John chapter one. Jesus, the co-creator of the world, comes to the world that he created and they received him not. But John chapter one, 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Again, this word belief. This is a word of total trust. Total and complete trust. What does total trust in Christ look like? Total trust in Christ is striving to put his will above yours in everything that is said and done. Every thought, every intention, every word, every action is constantly revolved around his glory. You trust God so much that you strive to surrender everything about you to him as Lord of your life on a regular basis. I didn't say you do it perfectly, you strive to. That is what total trust in Christ looks like. And so this word belief requires action. That's what James is talking about in verses 14 through 17. These verses are revolved around that word belief And I believe that James, if he could ask a rhetorical question with these verses, it would be, does your walk measure up with your talk? We say that we're saved. We say we have total trust. But does your life demonstrate that? And if your life is not revolved around who God is and his plan for your life, James says your faith is dead. Faith is more than words. It's more than words. James chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, James says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He says, you believe that God is one and you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. This verse actually reveals the unity between James and Paul's preaching James is saying show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works." James is pretty much saying you can't do that You can't do and if you can do that show me because that's impossible. You got I got to see that for myself He goes on to say That I will show you my faith by my works. Our faith is reflected by how we live It's reflected by how we live And that's why he says in the next verse, says you believe that God is one. You do well. But then he says something very powerful. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe. What James is saying, James is saying an empty confession is no different than the faith of demons. That's what that's what James is saying. Faith limited to intellect Is no different than faith of demons What is faith of intellect? What is faith limited to intellect faith limited to intellect is having scriptures memorized? It's having the gospel memorized It's having our essential beliefs Memorized our mission statement memorized with nothing demonstrated by our actions I actually know of a preacher who is he's very he's a he's a heretic he believes that everybody is going to heaven everybody whether you believe that Jesus is Lord or not everybody's going to go to heaven and the reason why I bring him up is because this guy can quote chapters and chapters of scripture and I know people that will say this guy has to be saved Because he knows his Bible. And I say, no, he doesn't. He has it memorized. You can have scripture memorized and still not know it. Because to know the scriptures is an intimate word. That is what Psalm says, to have the scriptures hidden in your heart. And the result of them being hidden in your heart is so that you may not sin against God. Faith limited to intellect, James says, is no different than faith of demons. It's more than words. It's more than intellect. And so with all this being said, how do we actually live out our faith? How do we demonstrate what we say? My next point, put away sin. Put away sin. This is what 1 Peter chapter 2 is talking about. Peter says, he says, so put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It says, put away malice. What is malice? Malice is a desire To bring harm to someone else out of a deep-seated meanness why would somebody want to do that we seek revenge when we're hurt we seek revenge when we're hurt the Bible talks about a guy named Jacob had several sons none of them were with the love of his life Rachel because she was barren finally in his old age a miracle takes place and she's able to give birth to a son named Joseph and because he's the miracle child he treats Joseph better than all the other brothers. And out of that, they are jealous, even to the point where they, would, they want to kill him. That's malice. That's malice. They sell him into slavery. That's malice. Some of, us have, some of us have malice toward a childhood bully even now because we're still hurt from the words that were spoken and the things that were done. Some of us may have malice because someone may have taken advantage of you in your innocent years as a child. Malice. Peter says put away malice. He says put away deceit, trickery, manipulation. It's a word that we often act out when we hear this two-letter word, no. Someone tells us no, we 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 become deceitful. People deceive out of anxiety. When we can't get what we want now, we'll never get it. When we can't see something now, we'll never see it. Haman, the right-hand man of the king of Persia for years, was upset because Mordecai, a Jew, wouldn't bow, and so he deceived the king in order to kill all the Jews so that way he could get his way. That's deception. One of the greatest... uh, Scriptures of deception outside of Genesis 3. It says, put away hypocrisy. The original Greek word for hypocrisy points to an actor with a mask. Someone who puts on a mask, goes on stage, and pretends to be someone else so that their true identity can't be seen behind the scenes. I think the greatest actors in the Bible were the Pharisees. They wore these phenomenal masks of perfect living. They walked out. And everybody thought they were perfect. Jesus was the first person to take us behind the scenes in Matthew 23. He says, they look like they're this and they look like they're that. But let's go behind the curtain. I'll show you who they really are. I encourage you to read that. Hypocrisy. He says, put away hypocrisy. He says, put away envy. Envy. Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain takes the life of his brother because out of envy that God would accept Abel's sacrifice and not his. He says put away slander. Slander, spreading false information, misinterpreting information as a word called gossip. We gossip for several reasons. We gossip because we're bored. We gossip because we want to be entertained. We gossip because we're hurt. There's several reasons why we gossip. Peter says, put away these things. And so, how do we do that? We've been talked about, we've been hurt, we have all these problems and these issues, we have a rough past. How do we put these things away and not act upon it? Long for spiritual growth. Long for spiritual growth. It's a process. Like newborn infants. Long for spiritual milk, that by it they may grow into salvation. If if needed, you've tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter refers to us as newborn infants that have to mature. They have to mature. Babies don't grow overnight, but they do grow eventually. They grow day by day. And they grow by milk. They grow by food. Notice, for those that have children... You do not have to tell a baby that they're hungry, especially my child. That's why she had to leave, because she made it known that she was hungry. Babies don't have to wonder if they're hungry. When they're hungry, they make it known. That is the type of hunger that Peter's saying that we should have. And babies aren't hungry once a week. They're hungry all the time. That's how hungry we should be for God's word. Put away sin, long for spiritual growth. God's word, it gives us the power to purify, purifies our heart, purifies our souls, gives us that sincere love and that power to love on the brethren fervently. It grows us to be mature Christians. Surrounding yourself in healthy Christian community, helps us grow as believers. Staying in prayer helps us grow as believers. Sometimes we believe that we've reached the highest level of maturity because we've been around. One of the, uh, actually, the executive pastor of our church said a uh, funny story in staff meeting. He said uh, he was getting ready to have Bible study with his, one of his youngest sons, and at the time, I believe his son was probably about four or five. And he said, we're going to have Bible study. He said, no, that's all right. I know enough about God already. <laughs> I know enough about God. I'm good. How, we, sometimes we actually think that. That's good. I don't need, I've, I've read enough of the Bible. I, I, I know enough right now. I, I, can, I can do that later. Long for spiritual growth. We grow constantly, day by day. My next point. Authentic faith produces fruit. Authentic faith produces fruit or evidence. James says in chapter 2, verses 20 on down, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that apart from works or faith apart from works is useless? He says, Was not Abraham our father justified when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He said, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead James gives great illustrations two great illustrations Abraham and Rahab the story of Abraham sacrificing his son found in Genesis 22 he offers his son as a sacrifice to the Lord as an example of faith-proven by works God speaks to Abraham tells him to offer up your son as a sacrifice and this was a test to reveal Abraham's level of faith to God and who God is and what makes the story so weighty is that Abraham for years with his wife Sarah could not have children they could not have children and in their old age God finally blessed them with a child And after a while, God comes to them and says, that same child I bless you with, I want you to sacrifice that child. Abraham hears these words, and I don't know about any other parent, I would struggle to do that. I don't even think I would do that. But the Bible says the next morning, he got up and obeyed God. He woke up, took his son to the mountain. And right before he was going to take his son's life, the Lord stopped him and revealed that it was a test. I encourage you to read that, Genesis chapter 22. But James says in verse 23, he says, The scriptures were fulfilled that says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham believed God. That's a scripture in Genesis 15, right before that. God tells Abraham go outside, I'm going to bless you. Abraham realized at the time he doesn't have kids. He's like, how are you going to bless me with, with descendants and how are you going to do all this? I don't have any children. He says, go outside, look up at the stars. He said, see the amount of stars, you can't even count them. That's how many, that's how big your family's going to be. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God. He confessed his belief in Genesis 15. He confessed his belief in Genesis 15. And his faith was proven in Genesis 22. This is what we see faith being proven by how you live. When you say you have faith, you live it out. That's what James is saying. He says, In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified? when she received the messengers and sent them by another way. Again, two great illustrations, Abraham and Rahab. uh, Rahab was a prostitute who lived in the pagan city of Jericho. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites were ready to take the land, Jericho, as they headed toward the promised land, and before that, Joshua sends two spies to spy out the land. And they go out, and word gets out to the king that they are There's spies in the land. So he sends the soldiers out to arrest him. They go to Rahab's house. Rahab hides them. She hides them. And she gives them a way of escape. I love what she says. She explains the reason why she did it. She says, before the men... It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, "I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what? You did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. To Siho and God and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. This is what she says. For the Lord, your God, he is God In the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. This is faith demonstrated by action. Rahab recognized that the God of Israel is the God of heaven and earth. She knew that the judgment of God can't be compared to any king, and that's what she professed. But this profession was proven by her works of hiding the spies. Great illustrations. And so we can understand why he uses these. He uses Abraham. Like everybody else, he uses Abraham. Everybody in the scriptures used Abraham. But the question is, why did he use Rahab? He uses Abraham, is the father of many nations. He walked with God. Every author in the Bible uses him. But why Rahab? Why why a prostitute? Why someone that would be frowned upon? I believe that James is using two of the extremes. He's using someone that everybody expects to be called righteous by God, but he's also using someone who no one would expect to be called righteous by God. Abraham and Rahab are two totally different people with two totally different lives, two totally different sides of the spectrum. But one thing they have in common is that they believed in their hearts that God is God, Over heaven and earth and because of this they were saved what does this tell us about God God can transform the heart of anyone he chooses Rahab was going to face the wrath of God along with every person in Jericho because of their works Rahab said to the spies, we heard about the miracles of the Red Sea and of the Jordan. We heard about God using you to defeat the kings and kingdoms. And she said, we heard. She didn't say I heard. We heard. We as Jericho, we the people, we heard this. The entire city knew about this God of Israel. They deserve God's wrath and yet they still remain sinful. Because God hates sin. He's holy, he's righteous. He made us in his image, he made us in his likeness, but out of our arrogance, we rebelled against God. Our rebellion brought sin into the world. Sin covered and separated us from a perfect God, putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to this world. Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, the co-creator of the world. He came into this world, And lived a sinless life, a sinless life. He not only taught forgiveness, he forgave. He not only taught humility, he was humble. He not only taught kindness, he was kind. He not only taught love, but he loved. He not only taught submission to the Father, but he was submitted to the Father. Tempted at all points, and yet did not sin. He was tempted to be malicious and deceitful, slanderous and envious. He was tempted to be hypocritical. But Jesus understood that authentic faith is more than words. He understood that authentic faith produces fruit. And so he meditated on the scriptures day and night as Psalm 1 says, so much so that every response to temptation, he quoted scripture. Jesus lived a sinless life. Life. He lived a life more than words. Jesus said out of his mouth, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He said out of his mouth, even the Son of Man did come, or he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. I'm, I'm so glad that his life was more than words, because Jesus lived out what he said through his words. Works Because of his sinless life, he took the wrath of the Father upon himself by dying on the cross for our sins. His life was more than words. He lived out what he said through his works. Jesus said out of his mouth, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. After he died, even in his death death, He still demonstrated what he said because he was buried for three days in the heart of the earth. Jesus said out of his mouth. He said out of his mouth that he would rise again. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He's more than words. Three days after he was buried. Jesus bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. Because Jesus lived out what he said, because Jesus walked the the measure or his walk measured up with his talk, he fulfilled the scriptures and accomplished his mission to save. If your faith is in Christ, you will no longer face the wrath of the father, but you will be placed or you will be with God in eternity And have eternal life. Jesus lived out what he professed. He lived out what he professed. Y'all can come up. His life produced fruit. This is what James is talking about. This is what James is talking about. Those who profess Christ as Lord of their lives must live it out. Must live it out. I want to close with Hebrews chapter 12. First two verses, the author says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My question to you all as I close, is how often is your lifestyle measuring up to your profession? What hinders you from practicing what you preach? My closing questions, are you feasting on God's word day and night or you in Christian community bearing one another's burdens? And then lastly, how often are you trying to live out what you preach in your own strength? Jesus promised, this is what he said out of his mouth, he promised the Holy Spirit, the comforter. When you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit fills you and points you to the sinless life of Jesus Christ. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we truly live as authentic disciples. Of Jesus Christ. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we truly love one another as Christ has loved and forgiven us. Only through the Holy Spirit can we truly walk in holiness and righteousness. Through the Holy Spirit we can live out James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26. Let's pray. Father, thank you because you're good. Thank you that you don't change. You don't lie. We thank you that you're perfect. And because you're perfect, we can depend on you. Father, we ask that you would conform us into the image of Jesus Christ daily through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we will live out what we preach. Help us to be more than readers and hearers of the word, but to be doers of it. We thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us to celebrate Father's. We ask, Lord, as fathers, you would give us the strength to live out what we say as we lead our families. Give us the strength to lead our families. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes through the Holy Spirit to look at Jesus, that our families would follow us as fathers as we follow Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, what you're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship.